you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Loving that theme music as I walk up. That's fantastic. Yes. So it is I, the man, the myth, the legend, Jonathan McMeans, your student pastor. They have introduced me in a video, and I feel extra special right now. And that's not anything about what I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm not going to talk about myself. I'm not going to talk about uh, all of the ways that I could dazzle you with words. I'm not going to talk about all of the ways that you could be a better person just like me. No, but I will say this. I took a, a class when I was in college. My undergrad degree is in communication, not because I was so skilled at it, but because it was quite the opposite. I felt called to ministry when I was 16 years old, and I said, God, you have the wrong person. I don't like to talk in front of people. Are you kidding me? I have to get up and talk in front of people to be in ministry. That's not going to happen. So what happened is this. I said, you know what? My biggest fear is talking in front of people. I'm going to go to a major university in Texas, Texas Tech, Reckham. Yes, four people. Love it. And, and I will be able to stand up in front of crowds of people, sometimes in an auditorium bigger than this one with two, three, four, five, six hundred people. And I can talk about things that I'm incredibly passionate about. Like how to make a salad. (laughs) Or my political viewpoints. I'm not going to go there today either. I heard somebody sigh over here. But here's, here's the thing. When it comes to, to who we are uh, as an individual, there is something that each one of us faces at some point in our life. And that one thing is a job interview. Like seriously, how many of you have had a job interview at some point in your life? Most of us in the room, if you are educated, if you are not educated, if you work, if you don't work, if you've ever tried to work, it's very likely that you have had a job interview. And the job interview always has one question that's almost a certainty to come up. And what is that question? What is your biggest weakness? And oh my goodness, there are so many fantastic ways to butter yourself up on this question. As a matter of fact, I pride myself at knowing what Reddit is. And so I got onto Reddit, and it's a social media site if you don't know that, but that's okay. The internet is hard, right? So in, when I got on Reddit and I was looking at the different things, there was one person in particular that was a, a job hunter, a head hunter. Their job was supposed to, uh, to, to coach people on how to just knock the interview out of the park. And he said, don't. Sleep on this question because you will make or break the interview with how you answer this one question. So he asked in the forum, what are some ways that you've answered the question? And it was pretty great because you had some that were really honest. And one of them said, I take failure too hard. 
And somebody quickly, if you know how the internet works, somebody quickly jumped on and replied to that and said, that's a terrible thing to say. You should talk instead about how it pushes you to not make the same mistake twice. Another person said that they went into a job interview with a card in their pocket. And when the question came up, what is your biggest weakness? What is your biggest weakness? They pulled the card out of their pocket, handed it to the interviewer, and on the card it said, and I quote, sometimes I prepare too much. Some of you are still getting it. It'll come. Don't worry. And then the last person that I found very interesting was the person that said, sometimes I've been known to be a little bit condescending. You know, condescending, like when you talk down to people. So I thought that those were fantastic examples. As a matter of fact, I would say that there are a lot of different ways in life that we go through different uh, places. Each one of us has some strengths that we're quite good at. Many of us can talk at length. I've heard you, like some of you talk at length about your strengths. I'm looking at you students, right? But other times, each one of us has some of the biggest, most glaring weaknesses. And it's not only inappropriate in our culture to talk about it, but it can be crushing to who you are as an individual. It can cost you family, friends, career. So here's what I think. One of life's greatest delusions is strength. One of life's greatest illusions is strength. The reason that I think that is I've known people in my life that were incredibly powerful. They had a lot of money, they had a lot of influence, and I've seen them crumble. I've known people that were incredibly physically strong. Oh my goodness, I knew people that did uh, the the triathlons. Obviously, that was never me, right? But I, I knew people that worked and worked and worked and worked, and they beat their time over and over and over again to get diagnosed with bone cancer and shatter their hopes, their dreams, their future. They were incredibly strong. Now, I love being able to talk about heavy topics. And as a matter of fact, when Pastor came to me uh, last week, week and a half ago, and he said, Jonathan, uh, I want you uh, to preach for me on Sunday, September the 15th. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, sure, why not? And I said, so can I talk about anything? And he said, yes. (laughs) And I said, oh, my goodness, I am going to get fired. I'm just kidding. I hope not. If you you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. And while you're there, I'm going to 
while you're getting there, I'm going to talk about a couple of different people. Even in uh, ministry at times, there's this illusion of strength that each one of us has. We want to be more and more uh, like the person that has the podium, the person that has the limelight, the author, the writer, the speaker. In ministry, it is so overwhelming at times. And I know in your field, it's exactly the same way. You look at people that do things better than you and you think, hey, I need to be that. And let me tell you for a second, I can give a solid motivational speech, right? I, I mean, like A++, by the time you're done, you're going to be thinking, oh, man, I am ready to go. That is not today. As a matter of fact, it's a little bit different. I think that instead, ministry, whether it's at a church like this one or the ministry that you find yourself in on a regular basis, instead of trying to look more and more like the person in the limelight with the book deal, maybe we should look a little bit more like John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, as a matter of fact, I love it. I was in here this morning getting things ready to go, and Pastor Lee was in here with a group uh, that, was, that was learning to, to study the Bible more. There was a really decent group in here, and they talked about John chapter 1 briefly. One of the things I love about John chapter 1 is you have this picture of John the Baptist. And they say, hey, John, are you the Christ? He says, no. Hey, John, are you a prophet? No. Well, why are you able to do the things that you are? Why are you able to do the things that you're doing? What, what is it that you communicate? If we're going to put your name on the brochure, and expect people to show up, what is your resume? And he said, well, I eat crickets, and I don't cut my hair. They said, no, 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 that's not going to get people to come. And he said, here, I'll tell you what. This is a McMean's paraphrase, right? He said, instead, you can tell them that all I am is a finger pointing, a voice crying, a light shining, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You and I are not supposed to boast in in the gifts that we've been given. You and I are instead supposed to be exactly like John the Baptist in John chapter 1 saying, Hey, it's not about me. I'm not the one that's able to do these things. I get up in front of you and I'm telling you, humility pointing in the direction of Christ our Savior the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Y'all listening, students? I get to ask them that on Wednesday all the time. It's fantastic. All right, if you're there, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. And here we go. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. My friends, I'm thinking back to the Old Testament, and I, I love reading the Old Testament. Some of it can be really difficult to read at times, I'm not going to lie, but there's one particular story that I was thinking of, and you might know this story, you probably do, but there's this guy named Joseph, and as the token millennial, I remember when I was a kid, there was a cartoon movie that came out, and it was called Joseph, King of Dreams. Are you all aware of this movie? It was by DreamWorks when they were trying to do Christian things. So, Joseph, king of dreams, and I remember going and seeing it, and I remember as a pretty young kid thinking, Joseph, king of dreams, he's not the king of the dreams. You see, to make a long story short, Joseph was given the opportunity to go and interpret the king, the king's dream. King had had a dream. Nobody could interpret it. Long story short, he ends up in the king's quarters. The king is like, hey, none of my people are able to tell me what this dream means. None of them. They've tried. They've read books. They've studied. Again, it means paraphrase. Are you the one that can come in and interpret these dreams? And he says, no, no, no. No, I'm not the one that can come in. And interpret it. It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You see, when we're dealing with these situations, it's really easy for us to look at our gifts and talents and say, that's mine. I earned it. But that's not the response that we get over and over again in Scripture. It's quite the opposite. The more mature we are in Christ, the more willing we are to come to an understanding that I don't amount to much without him. Let me say that again in case you missed it. The more mature we are in Christ, the more prone we are to come to the understanding that I'm nothing without him. At any given time, my voice could give out. I could be up here, this is what I'm supposed to do today. Some people would say it's one of my strengths to get up and talk in front of groups of people. At any moment, my voice, which is not mine, could be gone. At any moment, if you were an athlete, your strength and your health, just like that, could be gone. And you say, but I've worked really hard to become what I am. And just like that, strength is fleeting It's one of life's greatest delusions. Let's get into the scripture a little bit more. All right? So looking at the the passage in 2 Corinthians, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what this this passage is is, uh, up to this point, right? One of my favorite authors, his name is J.I. Packer, when he was uh, writing about about this, uh, this book of the Bible, he said this. He said, your handicaps and limitations may be the key to kingdom usefulness, right? And then he goes on and says this. As the background of the second book of Corinthians, he says, This book 
exhibits Paul to us at his weakest situation. Consumed with a pastor's anxiety, put under pressure, remorselessly censored, opposed outright, and by some, given the brush off. And living in distress because of what he knew, feared, and imagined was being said about him by the rambunctious church at Corinth. It's J.I. Packer on his commentary on the book of 2 Corinthians. Have you ever been in a situation like Paul where you knew or you felt like there were things being said behind your back? So in the book of 2 Corinthians, there are these people that are uh, spokesmen for the church. Paul is not the pastor of the church. He's somebody that is coming and going. And so he has been to Corinth. But when he's coming back, he realizes that there were all of these different things that were said about him. All of these different things. Some of them may have been true. But he came to a realization that many of the people doing the talking were in fact incredibly conceited. And he's talked at length in other books of the Bible about his uh, qualifications to be a spokesman for the gospel. But here he doesn't. Here he says something that's quite the opposite. It's humbling. He says, you know what? God has spoke to me. There have been times in my life where I've got a really big head because of that revelation that God has given to me. So he gave me a thorn. Now, I will say this. I'm in grad school right now. And there are people at my seminary working on their PhD. Their book that they have to write over what the thorn is. Truth be told, we don't know. The Bible is really vague on this thorn in the flesh. But I want to give you a few different things. I want to give you a few different thoughts that people think it is. Number one, some people think it's a physical disability that may have come from persecution. We know that Paul was beaten on multiple occasions. We know that there were people that did not like him. And we know that that might have caused some sort of an ailment. It could have been physical. It could have been a a, a gimp leg. It could have been a struggle with walking. It could have been a variety of different things. Other people think that it might be his remembrance of the past. If you remember, Saul was a persecutor of the church. So some people believe that this thorn may be the, the past that he constantly has to live with. Any of you have a past that you live with? Some people believe that it's a physical disability from some sort of an ailment, right? He may have been a a diabetic. He may have had a variety of different ailments that caused him to have bad eyesight or or maybe uh, not be able to walk well. And even still, there are some of the reformers uh, of the early church, of, the, of the, the Protestant Reformation, that would say that it was likely a temptation that he was constantly battling as a man of God. Four pretty decent views. Now, I love it because you could see how any of those four could be correct. 
And what I love about this passage as I was reading it is I think it was kind of left vague on purpose. I think that you and I, we have these struggles in our life. And sometimes we have a tendency to write it off if the Bible is really specific in one way or another. I think if he said, hey, I've got this thorn in the flesh. You see, I was beaten and now I can't walk very well then a lot of us would say, well, I've never been beaten, so I can't relate to the thorn in the flesh. Well, you see, he left it vague because I believe that you and I, each one of us, we have weaknesses in our life that have a tendency to hold us back from what God has wanted us to do. I taught a series for the students a little while ago, and this, uh, this doesn't apply to the sixth graders because I did it before they transferred in, but the series was about common views that we have on Scripture where we pull one verse, put it out, and we make that something that we can put on our Instagram page. We make it something that we can hang in the weight room. We make it something that means something completely different than it is. And sometimes it's not even in Scripture. It's just like a a really feel-good statement that you can apply to your Christianity, right? One of these, and forgive me if you've ever said this, is God won't give you more than you can handle. Huh. Well, Paul right here seems to be saying quite the opposite. He's saying, as a matter of fact, I'm weak. I'm not able to make it. I'm overwhelmed with the things going on in life. I'm not worthy to be communicating these things. I am not good enough. I am not strong enough. I am not skilled enough. Christ responds to him, hey, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You are more when you learn to submit. Now, here's the thing. He calls it a messenger of Satan, right? And I know, if you're anything like me, when you have these, these thorns, these weaknesses, keep in mind, I'm not just talking about skill. I'm not just talking about physical strength. Sometimes we have ailments. We have things that cause us in our minds to be less than everybody else. You wouldn't know it, but we're currently in the middle of a generation, of a century that is one of the most conceited On social media, in 2015, 93 million selfies per day. In 2015. That's old now. But guys, don't get me wrong on this. When we're looking at the way that we're supposed to be, when we're looking at who God has called us to be, Not only are we the most conceited, we're also the most insecure. Now think about that for a second. Let it sink in. Not only are we the most conceited, we're also the most insecure. I think sometimes when we have our weaknesses comes off like a messenger from Satan, doesn't it? 
Just like in, in Genesis, when the serpent went up to Eve and said, you're not going to die. Don't you want to be powerful? Can you believe this guy? God was saying you can't have that. That's the best of the whole thing. Why can't you do it? Same thing is true of us when we have our struggles, when we have our weaknesses. Let me tell you a quick story. When I was pretty young, 11 years old, I started having seizures. And most people don't know that. I don't talk about that very much. I talk about it occasionally, right? But I started having seizures at an age in adolescence where I was supposed to be learning to fit in. It came when we moved back to Texas from Idaho. Idaho is amazing. Big Spring, Texas, at least, was eh, you know. Some of you have been there. So we went from Idaho, Snake River, awesome, fishing, mountains, skiing, beautiful snow, to Big Spring. So we get back, and I get diagnosed with seizures. I start having seizures over and over and over again. They weren't pretty. They weren't good. I don't remember them, thank the Lord. I just remember waking up feeling terrible and everyone was standing around me. You had another one. I would have them at school. Man, that's a real winner for the ego. In the middle of class, oh, there's Jonathan having a seizure. Y'all are laughing. It's not funny. <laughs> just kidding. But I will say this. As a young believer in Christ, I had some serious heart-to-hearts with God in that season. I said, God, I love you. I have salvation in your name. I, I read scripture. I'm one of the only kids in our church that reads scripture. I love your word. I love your truth. I love your church. Why is it? Why is it? that you gave this to me. And then there was a voice kind of in the back of my mind, and you probably know this voice, that was just like in the garden saying, can you believe you have to put up with this? None of the other kids in your class have to put up with anything like this. Can you believe that you, who claim to love God, is suffering so much more than the family that claims to be an atheist. Can you believe the struggle that you have in your life? Man, you should be mad at God. Messenger from Satan. A thorn that I had to carry. And you know what? I haven't had a seizure since I was probably in seventh grade. But I will say this. I will say this. That season of my life gave me a relevancy to students that I would have never had the opportunity to talk through that have different ailments and they don't understand why they're struggling the way they are. I will say I don't always have the answer, but I'll say that God works his strength even in the middle of the weakest season of your life. My mom is a diabetic. 
She got diagnosed with uh, diabetes when she was 16 years old. She has an insulin pump. When my oldest sister turned 12, she got diagnosed as well. So my mom, who was having a very terrible time understanding why she was diagnosed in the first place, now has to come to the realization that not only her, but also her daughter have this. And they have been able, in their weakness, to do incredible things for the gospel. Let me tell you this, this is not going to be really popular, I promise you. Did you know that God doesn't have to heal you? Sometimes, God is using the most awful situations in your life to make you effective in ministry where you are today or where you're going to be tomorrow. You're not always going to recognize it. You're not always going to realize it. But I promise you, my mom and my sister are more effective in their ministry circles because of their weakness. I have been able to be more successful in areas of ministry because of a weakness that I had when I was in elementary school. So we're looking for complete dependence on who God is. I've got, I've got a couple more things for you, right? Here we go. First of all, beware of the weakness of strength. Now, I love it. Solomon, right, really wise guy, right, really smart individual. He says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is oftentimes considered uh, the pinnacle of strength. Now, I love it. In the book of Daniel, there's this guy, his name is Nebuchadnezzar, right? You heard of Nebuchadnezzar? He was the one that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, right? Nebuchadnezzar, that guy, built Babylon for nothing, great empire. And he's walking around, looking around at all of the things that he built. And he says, and I quote Daniel 4, 29 to 31, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident and for the glory of my own majesty? You know what God did to him? Took it away. And he became a babbling madman, wandering around. Pride goes before the fall. Second Chronicles 26, you're introduced to one of my favorite kings in all of the Old Testament. His name is Uzziah, right? Y'all aware of Uzziah? So King Uzziah, known for all the great things he did, 2 Chronicles 26, 15 and 16 says this. He was marvelously helped until he became powerful. But when Uzziah grew powerful, his arrogance led to his own destruction. You and I, we're in the middle of a season In our culture, we are supposed to have the best answers when it comes to how we're not weak, we're not low down, we don't have any faults in us. 
But if y'all listen, if y'all submit to Scripture, man, be careful when you've got that perception of strength. You're not going to find a stronger illusion. It can be over tomorrow. Alistair Begg is one of my favorite pastors. He put it this way. Since dependence is the objective, weakness is an advantage. That means when you struggle, when you're not good enough, when opposition's in your face, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like you don't have the strength to carry on anymore, can I be real with you and say, that's probably true? If dependence is the objective of a genuine, authentic walk with Jesus, then weakness becomes our advantage. Something that we can lean on. Something that we can, we can take strength from the cross of Christ and say, you know what? I can't go on. I'm not good enough. Give me your strength. Now, I love it. I talked about Daniel a little bit. I've been reading through Daniel some in my own quiet time, so that's why it keeps coming up. In my own life, this is a passage that's been really resonating with me, the, the Second Corinthians passage, uh, talking about strength and weakness. There are things that people never understand about phases of life that you're going through. And I will say this. Over the past few years, my wife and I, have found this passage comforting. And it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I know that's something that you heard when you were in elementary. It's something you got in Sunday school. We've heard it a million times. What are you going to say differently? Let me just say it like this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given the opportunity for everything to be normal. They were given the opportunity to have this perception of strength. They were given the opportunity to be status quo. All they had to do was reject everything they knew about who God was and instead say, you know what, we think, we think that the king of Babylon is more powerful than the God that we're serving. So the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, I already talked about him, right? Brings them in in front of him, sits them down and says, why aren't you bowing to my image? And their response is, we serve a God that's bigger than you, dude. That means paraphrase. We're not afraid of your fire. We serve a God that if he wants to, he's capable of saving us from that fire. But you know what, King Nebuchadnezzar? Even if he doesn't, he's still good. He's still more powerful than you are. 
sometimes we're faced with those same obstacles. I'm not saying that we're looking into a fiery furnace about to get burned alive. But we have choices that we make on a regular basis where we are faced with this option. Am I going to grumble and submit to culture? Or am I going to say, you know what? I serve a God that gives me strength. He's capable of giving me crazy amounts of strength. He's able to help me overcome the incurable. He's able to help me overcome my insufficiencies. He's able to make me something more than I could ever have been without him. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. And it does not take away from his power the thing that you're going through. I'm going to end with this. I was reading a passage. Every once in a while I'll read a, a devotion in the morning and a devotion in the evening. There's one that I like in particular that's by uh, Charles Spurgeon. It's called Morning and Evening because it was really creative with the name. Spurgeon had this to say. The fuller a ship becomes, the deeper it sinks in the water. Idlers may indulge a fond conceit of their abilities because they're untried. But the earnest worker soon learns of his own weakness. If you seek humility, try hard work. If you would know your, nothing, your nothingness, attempt some great thing for Jesus. If you would feel how utterly powerless you are apart from the living God, attempt especially the great work of proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. Then, and only then, will you know, as you never knew before, what a weak an unworthy thing you truly are. Man, that's not what we're supposed to teach as Christians, is it? It's an understanding that in all reality, when we're broken, when we're hurting, and when we're weak, that's when God shows up the most. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered that your handicap, that your insufficiencies are actually gifts that you've been given to make you more effective in the ministry that God has placed you in? If you really come to an understanding 